excited for this one, and I'm thankful for all of the folks up here um, that are going to speak to us about education um, and how matters of race are intertwined in that and how the gospel speaks to that. So if you would, just, uh, just introduce yourself as uh, who you are and just uh, where, what do you do for uh, work and, and even maybe your educational background a little bit. Sure, I'll go first. So uh, my name is Marshery Lane. I am a first-generation college student. Um, I'm originally from Southside Chicago. I attended Southern Illinois University, which is six hours downstate in Poduck, Illinois, otherwise known as Carbondale. Um, Carbondale, by the way, is actually one of the largest, um, one of the largest confirmant of education degrees for black students. Um, I originally started off as a journalism major, and I wanted to be a whistleblower to help marginalized communities who were under-resourced, by the way, from um, I am a product of the Chicago public school system, which is notoriously under-resourced and undervalued. And um, my work as a journalism student really highlighted the fact that just speaking from an objective perspective on some of these issues um, really limited my ability to be active in those spaces, to be an active agent of change. And so later, um, I started to work in different spaces, whether it was students who were from the um, Chicago public school system going to Taylor Park or um, working with actually affluent families whose students or children were on the autism spectrum or whether it was working with high school students from low-income communities like Cahokia, Illinois, East St. Louis, and so forth. And so I've worked the last five years in higher education through the Office of Admissions, and uh, much of my work is geared towards um, being a gatekeeper of information to high school students and counselors and community-based organizations and creating a space of access for them and educating them on what are some of the ways in which they can um, empower themselves and um, do well in the higher education realm. So that's a little background on me. Amen. My name is Nina Oalabi. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm actually from Maryland originally. Um, in terms of like my education background, the last 10 years I've been an uh, advocate for education in a lot of different ways, um, whether it was doing service learning with uh, you know, students who are in elementary school or whether it was college advising, which is a lot of the work that I do now, um, helping students to stay in college. It's really easy to get there. It's not so easy to stay. Um, mm. Or, you know, working with students around literacy building, but really engaging um, their understanding of who they are and their community through the Children's Defense Fund Freedom Schools program to school discipline reform and the Dignity in Schools campaign. So I've really looked at education um, from a lot of different perspectives. Um, I personally had really great experiences um, with education. Um, you know, I felt like I did well in school, but I, I think part of, uh-oh, am I jumping? Might be jumping. Okay. But no. I'm sorry, y'all. No, you're good. First. Go ahead. You got the mic. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's been my experience over the last 10 years. I'm really trying to be an educate, or excuse me, an advocate for education mm -hmm. and really helping students to understand that they belong in the Man. education space and they're welcome there. That's good. That's good. Hey everybody, I'm Liz Carroll. Um, I'm originally from Indiana, a small town came up through the public schools of Indiana, which was very different. Public schools here, not a lot of diversity at all. Um, and really had my first experience with diversity in education going to grad school in New York City. 
and I got my uh, graduate degree in speech pathology, and then I worked uh, for Chicago Public Schools for two years here in the city. So I was in a variety of schools as a speech pathologist and really got um, an interesting perspective of race in um, education. All right, um, my name is Jared James. I grew up here in Chicago um, on the south side of the city, um, just as far as background. Uh, so I'm also a product of Chicago Public Schools. Um, I went to Whitney Young High School, which is um, down the street from here. Um, if you're from Chicago, a lot of people know it as like the predominant Chicago Public School of all CPS schools, just as far as um, it's a blue ribbon national academic whole bunch of big words, but um, so yeah, went to high school there and then went to Ball State University for college, chirp chirp, and uh, for undergrad and then did my MBA uh, there as well and just, I'm sorry. By you, man. I had to do it. Y'all doing this chirp chirp oh. stuff, so, you know, I, 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 I don't. Okay, so, um, and then did my undergrad at Ball State and then also did my MBA and I just finished uh, my CPA. So I'm um, also a certified public accountant and I now work downtown um, for RSM, just a public accounting firm. Love it, love it. Well, as you guys can see, we have a couple that are from CPS, been here, some have worked in CPS, some are working with it now. So I kind of want to ask you a, a, a series of questions just dealing with that a little bit too, and just your experience here in education. So Nina and Liz, I'm going to start with you all. Just kind of what has that been like, just working with students here in, in Chicago? Um, how have you seen matters of race kind of intertwine maybe in the fabric of the school system? We're in a school right here. Um, and we can talk all day about an under-resourced here and 30 different students that are homeless, things that are happening right here in one of the, I would say, probably one of the richest or uh, wealthiest neighborhoods in Chicago, you, but you got under-resourced schools. So, so how, what do you guys encounter, things like that, um, dealing with these students, whether it be on the collegiate level or um, on a high school level? Sure, I, can, I can start first. Um, when it comes to, like, race and education, I think a lot of what I see is insidious, right? Like it's, it's the implicit bias that a lot of students experience. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that I'm really all about welcoming students and helping them to feel like, hey, you belong in this school system because a lot of what happens every single day says you do not belong um, in this school system, or excuse me, you do not belong at Harold Washington or at the within higher ed. And so that's why I really try to do that work to, to push the students forward because it's through the attitudes that maybe students get through administrators or even educators, yeah. um, you know, who are just kind of looking at the student with the dreadlocks or looking at the student who, you know, has on a little bit of tight clothing um, and has brown skin or has her hair a particular way. And so um, a lot really comes through kind of in those attitudes um, that folks feel um, and that folks experience. That's good. Yeah, um, I was in three schools, like I said. So one of the schools that I was in was a select enrollment high school similar to Whitney Young, like Jarrett was talking about. 
Um, so that was the most diverse school that I was in. And then I was in a school that was primarily African-American students and a school that was primarily Latino students. And I would say I could talk forever, <laughs> um, but I'm going to just talk about one story that I have, which is from the school that I was at in the primarily African-American, um, with primarily African-American students. And this school was across the street from a subsidized housing complex, but it was in an affluent neighborhood. Mm. So that was um, unique in itself, but all of the surrounding area was prominently white, fairly wealthy people that have families, but they didn't send their families to the school. 100% of the students came from this subsidized housing. Mm. Um, and I, at the time, lived relatively close, so I would walk to school. And you could feel the divide from one side of the street to the other walking to the school. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, literally, mm. I would walk from one side of the street, and it would be all white people, to the other side of the street, and it was all African Americans. And rarely did you see people crossing from one side of the street to the other. Mm. Um, and even to the point of being one of the few white people in the school even working, and my white colleagues telling me, don't walk on the side of the street where the subsidized housing is. Don't go out there. Mm. And it was really, really discouraging for me because I'm like, wait, we can be in here and educating these students, but we can't go on the streets where they live. We don't want to actually be a part of their lives and be a part of their families. Mm. Um, so that was the most maybe impactful story and experience that I have with race and education. That's good, good. On that note, Jared, you've had a unique experience going to Whitney Young growing up in the city of Chicago. And we talk about kind of some of those experiences, uh, just being a product of CPS, maybe going to school, coming home from school. What, what was that like for you living in one area and coming to a different school? Yeah, so I had a much different, um, I guess, experience than um, a lot of the people, most of the people that I grew up with. So, um, like I said, I grew up on the south side of Chicago in the city, um, and so I was in an all-black neighborhood, except for my next-door neighbor, which was a white family who also, like, had land, which I didn't even know what that meant growing up, but had land and a farm somewhere else, like in Michigan or something. But um, So yeah, I grew up in an all-black neighborhood where all of my friends, you know, when you're a kid, you just go outside and play with your friends. All of my friends went to our neighborhood school. And this is from like, we call it elementary school, so first grade or K through eight. And I went to a different school that was outside of our neighborhood and it was also selective enrollment. So literally like a selective enrollment test into first grade. So I can't even imagine the things that were on that test. <laughs> but I just always remember like coming home from school, and this is around like second, third grade, coming home from school, playing with my friends that are all black, and they're like, you talk white. And never understanding that as a kid, but I was just like, okay, I'm being made fun of, but that's what we do but it just didn't really register, I didn't understand. And then eventually, like, I started to clap back and say, oh no, I'm just smarter than you, or I'm just educated. But what was happening when I was a kid was just the underlying mentality that white equals educated, black equals uneducated. Mm, come on. And mm. um, looking back at it, it was something that 
um, was just something as kids where you don't realize that it's happening. And I think uh, Deb even spoke on it earlier where there's a lot of things where, you know, kids are listening and kids form their own perspective without um, ha being educated on what they're saying or knowing what they're saying and knowing the effects that it'll have later. And so um, that was just an interesting experience from then. And yeah, I just know that I have a much different experience than like your typical African-American male, especially, but African-American male coming through CPS. That's good. So. That's good. Marsha Ray, you, you and, and the admissions department and things that you get to see, I think you, you, you have a wealth of resources and thinking through how um, this looks and how people look at individuals when they're thinking about in, accepting them into the school, whether that be for the neighborhood or what they look like. Could you just share a little bit about that? And maybe, you know, what's some things that possibly should change in that system? Sure. So um, before I can even get to how it how it translates at the administrative level and even at the student level, I first have to go back to this principle of, you know, descriptive versus substantive representation and how that impacts the way voters behave. So someone who you admire because of their morals and their values and principles, you are most prone to vote for them, right? Because they think like you, they share your same values, whereas <laughs> Descriptive representation implies that you vote for someone or you're for them because of their race and ethnicity or um, how they may speak, right? So that person, you vote for them because they look like you. And I've seen how this works um, in, in the academy. You know, I see instances of where, you know, descriptive representation can be for or against you. So at the administrative level, you know, you're invited to the table when it comes to certain committees about um, supporting Latino, Latina students or African-American students. You're not invited if you don't look like, you know, part of that group or perhaps you are discredited because um, it is the, it is the um, stigma that you're uneducated. You're an uneducated black or black woman or black man or other person of color. Um, in other cases, too, I find that even though, you know, we want to implement policy to, say, create spaces of access for students of color and maybe, quote unquote, dumb down the admission standards so they can gain access to, to your institution, sometimes even that isn't all the way authentic. You know, because we report to board of trustees, we report to legislators, uh, there are a lot of constituents involved in how policies are implemented or how um, initiatives are funded. And so oftentimes it's really just a matter of having the appearance of caring for a certain population when in fact you're not there to consistently serve them and ensure um, that they are moving through not just general admission, but wow. once they're here, how are we stewarding wow. those kids when they're here? Mm. Perfect example I'll give to you is that we have a lot of funding to support Asian American and Hispanic students at, at my institution that I won't name. Um, some of you know, but I won't name them. Um, but we have a lot of resources to support those students. And one of the models that they've implemented is this mentorship program for Asian American students. And you find that students who are part of that mentorship program, they're engaged, they're actively involved on campus. Um, they are one of the most highest um, academic performing students at our institution. But if you find that that works for that population, why not create some space and fund other students as well so they too can be a part of those models. But you also see those students leaving the institution because they don't have the financial aid to support themselves. Um, the community is not as engaged with them. And so there's policies that's impacted that, that is for or against our, pop, our students. Um, there's 
just the appearance of wanting to look like we are supportive of all people. Um, there's this thing about, you know, universities wanting to use certain coin terms like diversity. We are a diverse institution. And I remember they asked me in my interview, they said, Marshray, what do you think about diversity? I said, to be quite honest, if you're not about this, in all facets of what we're doing, quite frankly, I can't come and support this institution. I can't take up a seat here. Because if you go to a college fair, you'll see brochures across all the tables. You have an Asian American, a white American, a black student, so on and so forth. You see these pictures, right? But is that true of that space? Are we truly in supporting those students? And so um, those are some examples. And personally, of course, I've experienced it where I was you know, hired to be a part of a committee on a hiring committee. And to be honest, my voice wasn't heard. And you might say at that time, yes, I was a newborn or new, um, new professional, right? And so you might argue, well, it was probably in your best interest to just defer to um, the opinions of my white male counterparts who were also part of that committee. But quite frankly, I was there to also check a box to say that we were being fair, to say that, you know, to have a black woman as a part of that committee was in, in the fact, in a way to really just support all people who were applying. Um, I will say on the other side, though, I am very grateful um, for my current institution because although their hearts might still be a tad bit far disingenuous when it comes to supporting marginalized groups of people, I will say that it's only by God's grace that has allowed them to be as diverse, to be as welcoming and inclusive as they are. I do see that um, despite, despite it all. That's good. That's good. That's good. Thank you for sharing all that. As we end this, I, I want you guys, could you just sum it up for us, Nina or Liz, just, just thinking about why is this, why, why should we think of matters uh, of, of education and why is it a gospel issue? Is it a gospel issue? You know, what is, what, when we look at the system, things that you've talked about. Um, when it comes right down to it, God is for the oppressed, mm. and any system that is a vehicle of oppression, God is going to care about it. God's going to want to dismantle it. Um, and I feel very much so that the work I do is justice work. And a lot of times Christians will hear yeah. justice and they're like, oh, it means this or it means that. No, what it really is is it's love work. It's light-bearing work. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. um, it's seeing the light in other people believing that there's light in other people and, um, you know, just believing that God's death on the cross and what he did three days later really does allow us to have this deep-seated love that's not flimsy, that's not just like, oh, I like you, I think you're cool, but no, it's a love bears all things, love hopes all things, um, which we are not mm -hmm. able to do without Christ. That's why it's important. Amen, amen, amen. You guys give it up for the education panel. So thank you, guys. Well, as we end the day and we think about, you guys can stay for just a minute, as you think about coming to the table this morning, I want you guys to really reflect on a lot of the things that have been said here. What we did here, this is not going to solve the race issue in America. It's not going to solve all the things that we're dealing with, whether it be in media, the workplace, or education. But the hope is that this will enlighten you and encourage you and challenge you to step across those different lines in your spheres of influence or wherever you may be in your everyday life and get to know other people that are different than you. Don't, don't, don't have your presupp check, check them at the door, your presuppositions, and, and really step across those lines. We see that with Jesus engaging each person that he did while he was here on this earth. Nobody was like him. Nobody was sinless, so everybody was an enemy of Jesus. So as he engaged people, he did that. 
crossing those lines to get to them. And when he dies on the cross, he makes a way for all of us individually, if we accept him, to come to him and live with him forever and ever and ever. He says, as we come to the table this morning, I really want you guys to reflect on God's goodness and sending us Jesus, giving us Jesus, and through that, just loving us that much. And if we believe, y'all remember, we live forever. And see, that's the truth of the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel. It's not just vertically reconciling us to God through Jesus. It also reconciles us to one another. So with that, the gospel and what Jesus is doing in our heart, the Holy Spirit, compels us to love others and love people that are different than us. So this race conversation, what we're doing today, should not just stay here. As we go outside these doors, we should go out there and we should be challenged in a way to, to, to engage people that are not like us because that's what Jesus did for us. Amen?